soy sauce and fish sauce and parmigiano reggiano and blue cheese and tuna and sardines and dashi broth plus many more all have at least one thing in common glutamate sounds familiar doesn't it it should and there's a good reason for that the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 157. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. With Fall in the Air, it is time for some fine one-pot cooking. And you can get your fine one-pot cooking recipes in my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, One-Pot Meals You Can Make. You can find it on Amazon or use the link to the blog post, culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. At the end of the episodes where I have a guest, I ask them a few questions. The first is, what's the wind speed velocity of a laden swallow? No, no, I mean, of the five flavors, bitter, salty, sweet, sour, or umami, which is your favorite? Pretty much everyone knows what bitter, sweet, salty, and sour flavors are, although in an unofficial survey I conducted at a winery, about 25% of the tasters didn't identify bitter notes in the wine I was featuring. Now, part of the issue could be me, as the person saying, this wine has bitter notes, and bitter is a flavor I claim to like, but that wasn't part of the observation, and bitter might actually be another episode. Today, I want to discuss umami. In one way, I think it is like those other flavors we can identify in that we know they are there, but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about them. Umami is at least worthy of discussion since you may not know you've tasted it and chances are excellent that you have. Maybe the best way to start to explain umami is to describe what maybe you have tasted. If you had had soy sauce on a fried rice dish or a big pile of sautéed mushrooms with a steak or bacon or green tea, or bacon and green tea, and felt there was something more going on on your palate, that Jerry Maguire moment of you complete me, that was probably the umami. We can get a bit touchy-feely with the description and say it makes you feel like your whole body tastes the food, but I think you get the idea. Where this gets interesting is in the why and the how. Since I know nothing of the why and the how, I'm going to read from several websites that make more sense than I do. Let's start with taste. You may have heard the explanation that the tongue has distinct areas which detect specific flavors, 
with salty being the front edge, bitter on the back, sweet on the front, and sour on the edges. Umami can be detected by the entire surface of the tongue. Umami is a taste, and it was really identified in 1907. The Ajinomoto.com website, man, I butchered that, shares this. Quote, in 1907, Professor Kukune Akita, while savoring a bowl of boiled tofu in kombu dashi, a broth made from a kind of kelp, he became convinced that there was another basic taste altogether different from sweet, salty, sour, and bitter. Intrigued by this thought, he began analyzing the composition of kombu dashi and in 1908, he isolated crystals that conveyed the taste he had detected. These crystals were made of glutamate, one of the most common amino acids in foods and in the human body, end quote. Glutamate is an amino acid. That's interesting because we know that amino acids are proteins and are the building blocks of life. I don't think that's overstating the case. Professor Aikida did take his discovery of glutamate and bound it with sodium to make it stable, giving us the much maligned, wrongly so in my opinion, MSG, monosodium, one sodium, glutamate. Now, there's, from a quick chemistry thing, he's taking free glutamate, which means it's kind of there in chemical space, a bound glutamate is something that is part of the whole. Now, I don't know how you get one from the other one, but um, so the, the things we'll talk about in a few minutes where the food has glutamate as part of it, that's a bound glutamate. So there's your chemistry point one lesson for the day. Fans of the Japanese version of Iron Chef may remember seeing Chef Morimoto a badass if ever there was one, talking about umami. That was when I first heard the term. And as it happens, umami can be manipulated just like other taste sensations. Over time, two more compounds, inosinate and granulate, combine with glutamate to form the extreme of umami tastes. MSG, as a topic, and it's a good one, ties in with isononate and guanylate, I'm going to butcher these the rest of the show, as items of concern for some folks, but are considered by the FDA as generally regarded as safe. Now, as I said, it's another episode, but I could hardly come this close to MSG and not pay a visit to that concern. Inosinate and guanylate, man, I'm bad at this, are food additives but are also naturally occurring in food. Disodium inosinate is found in beef and pork and chicken and fish, including sea bass and tuna. Guanylate is found in various mushrooms, including shiitake, matsutake, inokidake, and pork and chicken meat. So, so far we have umami 
is a taste. It's the fifth taste. The source of this taste is glutamate, an amino acid. The human tongue has umami taste receptors on the whole surface of the tongue. It seems to show up in some foods or dishes, and we may not even know that's what it was that we ate. As a flavor thing, it's good to know about. And if it ended at flavor, that might be good. What I've found is flavor is just one aspect of umami, and maybe not the most important, but the flavor part is connected. In broad strokes, the human taste has evolved or developed for us to eat what seems good and reject what seems bad. Salty and sweet taste good. And as we know from the salt episode, culinarylibertarian.com slash 139, sodium is essential for life. Sweet, that is sugar, gives energy, but also promotes eating more because it tastes good and the rest of the food with calories in and micronutrients in helps keep our unnamed man alive. Umami helps with salivation. Now, that sounds kind of like a gross idea, but salivation is vital. Umami is the signal to your body that you have consumed this protein, and this sensation triggers both the saliva and digestive systems to start going to work to begin the process of digesting the food. Back on that Iron Chef battle with Morimoto, his want to make umami dishes might be one reason why he won so much. That, and he is a badass. For a cook, combining glutamate with either inosinate or granulate or both makes a more umami dish. Home cooks can do the same thing. A few foods high in glutamate include cheeses with Parmesan cheese at the top, soy and fish sauces, walnuts and other nuts, cured meats, think ham, prosciutto, tomatoes, seafood, mushrooms, green peas, and potatoes. Personally, I would stay away from the potatoes unless you boil and cool them first overnight then, you know, make southern browns, make hash browns, ground them up, eat them, whatever you want to do. Make a potato salad. Using what we know, glutamate and inosinate and granulate making more umami, chicken with tomatoes and white beans will taste more amazing than those two things apart. Tuna with a soy sauce vinaigrette or oh, a black bean vinaigrette with soy sauce and soba noodles is a good dish. Combining elements from each category into a meal heightens the umami taste. Dazzle your friends and family with kitchen chemistry. You may remember my talk with Mark McAfee about raw milk and the gut-brain axis. That and the gut microbiome are real things and really important. If you are jumping ahead, 
you've guessed that I'm going to tell you about the gut-brain access for glutamate. I am. But it's even more impressive. They who do such things have found that there are also flavor receptors in the stomach as part of the umami gut-brain axis. The axis road, so to speak, is the vagus nerve. In the paper, Biological Significance of Glutamate Signaling During Digestion of Food Through the Gut-Brain Axis, the authors write, quote, The intragastric infusion of glutamate also activates several brain areas, insular cortex, limbic system, and hypothalamus, and is able to induce flavor preference learning in rats. These results suggest that umami signaling via gustatory and visceral pathways plays an important role in the process of digestion, absorption, metabolism, and other physiological functions via activation of the brain, end quote. Now, that's pretty eggheady, but it sounds like it's really a big deal for your brain and you got to talk about it, this glutamate that you have consumed and the impact it has on other pretty major systems in your body. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. A Japanese study looked at the relationship between taste perception of umami and the overall health of the person. This is a slightly long quote, but worth it. Quote, Our newly developed umami taste sensitivity test revealed the loss of only the umami taste sensation with preservation of the other four basic taste sensations sweet, salty, sour, and bitter, in some elderly patients. All such patients complained of appetite and weight loss, resulting in poor overall health. We also found that treatment of hyposalivation diminishes hypoglycia, which is a salivation thing, indicating that salivation is essential to the maintenance of normal taste function. Based on these findings, we consider that improvement in salivary flow may serve as a treatment for patients with taste disorders. Umami taste stimulation increases the salivary flow rate because of the gustatory salivary reflex. We use Japanese kubacha, Kelp tea, tea made of powdered tangle seaweed, to stimulate umami taste and promote reflexive salivation. Improvements were noted in salivation, taste function, appetite, weight, and overall health. Maintenance of umami taste function contributes not only to the preservation of good oral health, but also to the general overall health in elderly people, end quote.
That sounds like a big deal. Suggesting that being able to taste your food improves your health doesn't sound like groundbreaking news. I was the chef of a retirement community in Tallahassee, and there were a few mobile residents who had some dietary needs. I don't know the full extent of the various issues, but some of the foods they were served were pretty bland. If your food has no taste to begin with, and you have poor taste bud function along with that, it's easy to understand why those people weren't interested in food. If it tastes good, we are going to eat it. Now, I'll tell you, I agree that ice cream tastes better than cabbage. Usually. So, with that comes making the right choices. Tasty Cap'n Crunch crunch berries and orange juice and white toast are not a diet for wellness. In addition to the foods that have or are umami, we can control how much some foods have and increase that amount. Really ripe to overripe fruit has more umami than the regular fruit. Aged meats and cheeses, such as the previously mentioned parmesan, but also blues and other well-aged cheeses have umami. Asparagus has umami. I mentioned some foods that are high in umami or umami elements. Also on that list is ginger and garlic. And, as it happens, when you saute them both together for a pasta sauce, the ginger makes the garlic taste garlicier. Cooking foods helps increase or makes more available glutamate. Make roasted garlic either the whole bulb, it's pretty, but it's kind of a pain and it's messy. Or roast whole cloves in olive oil and rosemary in a foil bundle. Or cook the whole cloves very slowly on the stovetop in extra virgin olive oil. Uh, add a rosemary skewer to that if you want to. Add ginger to that if you want to. Uh, add turmeric and ginger to that if you want to. I don't fuss with peeling ginger and turmeric. Quite frankly, I find it a minor inconvenience and I don't want to clean the mess. And as long as it's washed, the skin is so thin that either the microplane won't shred it and it sort of self-peels. And if it does get in there on the thin slice, who cares? Food52.com has a blog post about umami. This paragraph gives some ideas about how to stock your pantry and fridge. They write, quote, When it comes to stocking your fridge and pantry, many of the ingredients mentioned above, above in their article, plus things like miso paste, tomato paste, dried mushrooms, anchovies, soy sauce, and fish sauce are great umami boosters to keep on hand. Proteins like pork, Beef and shellfish, as well as veggies like tomatoes, mushrooms, and seaweed, all are rich in glutamate and therefore umami. End quote. I'll put a link to that specific food52.com uh, piece on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 157. What umami is or isn't and how it tastes is pretty new to most of us. 
I want this episode to be a primer for you to think about how to get maximum flavor and also maximum digestion and the rest of the benefits of eating well. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As I mentioned, I will put the link to the food52.com piece about umami on the show notes page, which, again, is culinarylibertarian.com slash 157. And there will be a link for the Cooking for Comfort cookbook that I mentioned. Some Something to share that's sort of brewing and seems to be something that's taking. I have found an opportunity being a content writer for a food blog. Food, no, not wrong, wrong word. Food website. Not mine. Different one. <laughs> so that's exciting. I'll tell you more about it when it seems to be all set in stone. But... Um, this is, this is kind of cool, so I'm excited about that, and it's a fun thing to talk about. If you like the show, I would appreciate your support at culinarylibertarian.com support. I still only have fiat support links there. I haven't managed to, to get in there and do anything with uh, crypto, uh, but it's still a contribution, and I still appreciate your help. Please share this episode around on your social media feeds and like it when it ends up on your feed. And definitely share it to your friends who enjoy eating and cooking, uh, probably in that order. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.